Engaging Leader, episode 101. Built to Lead, Becoming a Top 10% Manager, featuring David Long. Does your leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. Did you know that of every 100 employees hired, only six or seven will ever be promoted to their first management position? (laughs) If you're a manager now, you're one of the 7% who made it. Well, that's the good news. Now, here's the bad news. Statistically speaking, you won't be promoted again. According to author and CEO David Long, the vast majority of first-time managers fail And only one in seven will stay in management with their present company for five years. How do you get in the top 10% of managers who succeed? David Long is author of Built to Lead, Seven Management Rewards Principles for Becoming a Top 10% Manager. David Long, welcome to Engaging Leader. Glad to be here, Jesse. Thanks. David, this book is different from a lot of leadership books out there written by college professors and consultants. This is basically written by somebody who has decades of real world experience. Can you just share with us your background and why our listeners would want to get your book and hear what you have to say about leadership? Well, you just kind of cleared it up right there. You said it's real world. You know, I have been fortunate enough in my career, my 35 year management career to be able to be a top 10% manager in three separate unrelated industries. So the things that I share in my book are universal. It doesn't matter the industry. It matters the principles of what matter. And that's what I teach in the seven management rewards principles in the book. And uh, man, you know, basically I started my career, uh, not my career, let's just say, started my company in my mom and dad's garage. And Jesse, that was after I lost my job. And I went through seven jobs in three and a half years. Wow. So that's pretty bad. You know, I'm not, I wasn't going for the world record or anything. <laughs> it just happened, right? But uh, I hated everything I did. But in hindsight, you know, they say when you get up to the top of the mountain, after you've come through the valley, you can turn around and look back into the valley and you can see all the things that you went through and why you went through them. And that, now that makes sense. So all those seven jobs that I had, in those three and a half years. When I did start my company, ultimately, I used something from every one of those jobs. So in, in my life, in my opinion, and if you want to believe it, divine providence, if you will, whatever you want to call it, I was using everything, something from every job that I had. Hmm. So it really worked out great for me. But I, I really, you know, I had done engraving when I was in high school and college. Matter of fact, I paid my way through school doing that. And that was engraving jewelry, though. Hmm. And uh, I happened to be working at Circuit City Store during the uh, holidays, and uh, I looked up on the wall, and I saw that they had plaques, and they were about to run out of space. And I said, what do you pay for these? And the operations manager told me, and I said, wow. I said, it would be okay if I make some samples and bring them to you and let you see what I can do. And he goes, kind of sarcastic, yeah, I guess, whatever, you know. <laughs> so, uh, so I did. I brought them in. He goes, wow. He says, these are a lot nicer. He says, you're going to let me have for the same price? I said, I'm going to do better than that. We'll save you 30%. And he said, let's do it. So I sold him and I went across town and sold two other 
Circuit City stores way back. This is 1988, at the end of 1988. So, uh, But that wasn't enough to stop the bleeding. And four months after that, I had to move back home. My wife and I sold our house literally, Jesse, two weeks before we lost it in foreclosure. Mm. So it was bad, buddy. I mean, when I say it was bad, you know, I had that, <laughs> I had that Jimmy Stewart moment on the bridge and it's a wonderful life. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I'm worth more dead than I have alive. Kind of deal. So it was kind of depressing, but, uh, you know, it was, my father actually called me in 1988 around April or so. And he said, son, he said, I know you've been struggling for a few years. By that time, we'd obviously been two and a half, three years, you know. And uh, he said, uh, your mother and I would like to offer you the chance to move back home and start over again. And I said, I had said it like this, Jesse, I'll never forget as long as I live. I said, yeah, right, dad. <laughs> you know, really sarcastic. So my dad ended up, you know, he said, okay, son, I just, you know, it's, I just want to let you know. We, you know I said, it's okay, dad, thanks, I appreciate it. So that was it. So roughly a year later, in April, beginning of April, they, they called me. Dad did. And he said, son, he said this, Jesse, I'll never forget these words as long as I live. He said, son, are you any better off this year than you were last year? And I said, no, dad, I'm in worse shape. He said, well, the offer still stands. And you know, I didn't even have that much rent. It was coming up. This is the first of April. I didn't have it. So make long story short, you know, I told the, the company, uh, the rental company, if you will, for the apartment complex, I'm going to be leaving and I'm going to be coming out. So let me give you some money, but I'm leaving. So uh, we ended up having two yard sales to raise the money for the rider truck rental. <laughs> and when we loaded everything up, there wasn't enough room. So we ended up leaving some stuff on the sidewalk outside the apartment. So people just came in and took it and <laughs> ran off, you know, because we locked the, we locked the door on the truck. But that night that stuff was gone, man. <laughs> so anyway, we left the next morning. But uh, yeah, that was, that was tough. We moved back home. I remember I told my wife that we were going to move back home with mom and dad. And she cried for four hours. It wasn't uh, a happy time. My mom and dad were great, though. They really were. Uh, they didn't nag us or anything like that. Of course, we paid. I paid $500 a month while we stayed there. But th- it went for a year and four months, Jesse. But uh, at the end of that year and four months, we actually moved into a house that we bought. Hmm. You know, I could have moved out earlier and got an apartment or something, but I wanted another house. That was a victory for me. And that was my goal. And I worked hard to get that. And we were able to do it. So we were very blessed in that regard. But I actually started the company here full time. The only, you know, before I was just doing it on the side. But I did it here. I, I was interviewing with the jewelry company here in Wilmington, North Carolina. And um, they basically were telling me this is 25 years ago. And they were going to pay me $24,000. And I was going to be able to stay here and train in Wilmington. Well, they had. Over the course of about two and a half months, they dragged me out because people were on vacations, and I had to have five interviews and with different people within the company. And when they finally came to it, they said, we've had so many people apply that we're dropping the pay to 17000 and you got to move Colonial Heights, Virginia, or Birmingham, Alabama. And I said, <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. So I actually, you know those samples? Remember those samples I had made for Circuit City? Mm-hmm. They were in the back of my Honda Accord. And I was in town with boat shoes, shorts, and a polo shirt on. That's what I had that day. Not exactly dressed for success, right? <laughs> so I, uh, I, I'm driving home, and you know, once again, fate, divine providence, whatever you want to call it, I felt I needed to pull into that doggone real estate office over there. So I did, and I reached in the back of the plaque, uh, back in the car, and really, I don't even remember why I had those plaques in the back of the car. I can't remember. I really can't. 
So I, I pulled him out. I went upstairs to the real estate office and I said, I am here. I would like to talk to the person who's in charge of agent recognition. And she said, he's in a meeting. Can you sit down? And I said, uh, sure. So, you know, Jesse, I, I had figured out my pricing based on Circuit City, what they were paying. <laughs> I didn't know what I was going to charge. I'm sitting right there. And I said, oh, my goodness. So I said, can I borrow your calculator? She said, yeah. <laughs> and she hands it to me. And I'm sitting there, you know. And uh, I figured, okay, retail days, price point. I need something. Okay, $199, $199.95 for the big plaque, 12 little ones. And uh, that's $16.65 a month. So I said, okay, I'm ready. Handed her back the calculator. And I got in to see Chuck Spooner. And I got in to see him. I showed him the plaques and everything. And, and uh, he said, you know, you liked him. I could tell you liked him. That was obvious. And he said, but I got a problem. And I'm thinking, oh, great. I need more rejection in my life. So that's great. So then he says, we recognize two agents a month. I said, oh, that's not a problem. You know, back to reality here. And uh, I said, he said, what kind of price will you give me for two? I said, well, $16.65. I'll do two for 30 he said, 25 sounds awfully nice. <laughs> and I said, 27.50 sold. And he laughed. and said, all right, we'll split the difference. <laughs> so I said, uh, Chuck, I'm just starting out. I said, you can call the Charlotte stores and they'll tell you I'm taking good care of them, those Circuit City stores, you know. And uh, he said, well, no, it's no big deal. I said, I told him, I said, would it be okay if I get half the money up front and half on delivery? And he said, don't worry about it. He said, yeah, you look honest. You take care of it. So he said, what's the total? So we sat there and figured out with his calculator this time, <laughs> you know, how much money that was going to be. It was $346.50. And uh, he wrote me out the check for the whole amount. And I walked out of there, and I remember I went to put the plaques in the back of my car, the samples, you know. And uh, I said, thank you, God, and what a country, you know. And uh, I went home. I showed that check to my wife, to my mother and father, and they're going like, he gave me the money up front? <laughs> yeah. So I put on a suit and went out the next day, literally – two blocks up from, from that ERA Strand Realty to David Swire Century 21. And they're still a client today after 25 years. And, and basically, that's how I started the company, right there. So that more than 25 years ago, and the company, you started out in engraving. What's the focus of the company these days? Well, we, we are no longer called the same thing. Today, we do so much more than engraving. Uh, we do employee engagement surveys, where we have a 10-question survey for the managers of our 12,000 active clients in the U.S. and Canada. And then we have a 35-question survey for the employees. And let's just say that they're never close. The managers think they're so awesome, and then the employee survey comes in and brings them back to reality. <laughs> so, you know, basically they get to see where they are weak in, at, as they perceive from their employees' perspective. You know, it's not one employee, it's a bunch of employees. So you, you average all of that and you figure out where the average employee thinks you're strong and you're weak. And what we do is we are now in having developed 10 modules, if you will, to help managers uh, be better at the things they're weak at. So we have 12 clinical employment psychologists right now who are working to create those modules and we're going to videos from that with the downloadable workbooks, PDFs, make it easy for clients. And they download it and they work on the things they're weak at. Then they get tested again in nine months. And we get to find out exactly how they're improving. So the, the focus of the company, you still have a, a strong segment of business that's focused on employee recognition. But Absolutely. it's yeah. employee recognition toward business outcomes, toward the goal of engaging employees and achieving results. Absolutely. We tie the employee recognition program to what we need to improve in the company to have more success, more profits, more sales, 
more employee engagement. That's the goal. Everybody wins with that one. Now, as I was reading the book, I was just struck by the number of stories that you're sharing in the in the book, both from more than 25 years of experience of running this company as it's gotten bigger and bigger, and you've increased revenue 20% a year every single year, which is pretty darn amazing. Yeah, even in this economy, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, to, to, to make it through that and consistently hit 20% or better. And also stories from uh, client managers that, uh, clients that you've worked with where you've helped managers improve the way they lead people. Right. And it, it's it's just this very interesting blend of very real world experience with these real life stories. And you got you got your own employees providing their perspective and what it's been That's like right. to work with you. It's a, it's a very transparent kind of honest book. Mm-hmm. I actually have had more than one. I've had quite a few people tell me, Davis, like you and I are sitting in my living room mm-hmm. and we're having a conversation and you're telling me these stories. So it's written in what they call conversation ease, where you and I are just having a conversation. And that's the way the book is designed, because I want to really just get down in the trenches, get down where the people live, as they say, because I've lived there and I still live there. And uh, I love those frontline managers, that's my people. That's my peeps. <laughs> I mean, I've done it. I was in retail for 13 and a half years. Uh, that was one of the companies that was in the top 10%. I was chosen num- one of seven. They didn't tell us which one we were of the seven out of 1,200 managers on the East Coast. So, I mean, I was definitely in the, in the uh, 10%, but that's really 1%. And then I went into, of course, my company. We're in the top 1% in the employee engagement and recognition industry in the world. You know, we're, we have, like I said, 12,000 active clients in the U.S. and Canada, not, you know, clients past. These are active, everyday clients that we deal with, you know. Hmm. And uh, we have an incredible retention rate. Our clients love us. We love them. We take care of them. We deliver on what we promise. And that's what people want to see today. They're not going to waste money with anybody who's not delivering. So that's what we work on. Yeah, fantastic. Now, the structure of the book is built around the seven principles that mm-hmm. spell out the word rewards. And the first one is reconnaissance. Can you tell us what's that about? Sure. Actually, reconnaissance, basically, I kind of like what Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, said about having the right people on your bus. Of course, that refers also to having the right people on your team. And I think you should start with managers. So say you come into a new business. And you have to assess what your team is like. You're the only new person there. Everybody else has been there. So if you're going to have a management team, you've got to figure out how strong or how weak they are. Because you're only as good as your weakest link, especially on your management team. So you need to assess, is this person on board? You know, are they gung-ho on helping us get to the goals that we want to achieve as a company? If they're not, you work with them and you try to get them on board. If they don't want to get on board, you replace them. You know, one of the things I say is hire, train, prune, and repeat. You know, if you can fix them, Jesse, fix them. You know, a lot of times it's just a bad attitude. So figure out why they have a bad attitude. Maybe they got passed over recently on a promotion. They're a little bitter about it. Get to the core of that and say, look, I'm going to do my best to help you get promoted. But I need your help to make that happen. You know, you have to look strong. I will, and this is one thing I talk about in my book, is that you need to, as, an, as a store manager or a business manager, you need to brag to the people, the higher-ups in your company, about people on your team. Because nobody else is a better ambassador for them than you are. Mm-hmm. So that's where you want to figure out, first of all, 
How strong is your management team? Replace the weak ones. Then you sit down with each management, each manager uh, of each department, department head, if you will. And then you analyze each employee in their department. And you can say, yeah, Jesse's doing great. He's, he's got a lot of you know, potential. He's great. But when you get over here, we got Tom over here. Tom, eh, you know, he comes in late all the time. He badmouths the company. Then you sit down and you talk with Tom and say, Tom, we got a little bit of a problem here. We need that to be fixed. You know, we, what do you want to accomplish with the goal? Get down to where he lives and talk to him. Work with him and try to figure out what motivates him. Why is he bitter? Or why does he just have a bad attitude? Try to fix him. Do your best. But if you have the, if you have the cattle prod people to do their job, Jesse, time to go. You know, occasionally everybody needs a kick in the shins every once in a while or, you know, kick in the butt, whatever. But if it's a habitual problem for this person, coming in late every day, not doing the job, disappearing, you got to go hide. They hide somewhere, you know, you got to go find them. Where is this guy? You know, it's that you can't deal with. You know, like I said, once again, you're only as strong as your weakest link. So get rid of them. If they're that type person and they habitually are that way, get rid of them. So that's basically what reconnaissance is. You've got to make sure you have the right people in your team. Now, the E is for education, building your people first and then letting them build your company. Right. And that's what Zig Ziglar said. You don't build the company. You build your people and your people build the company. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And that has made me immensely successful by having that philosophy. You know, as I said to you earlier, I do not work in my company at all anymore. I don't answer the phones. I don't engrave any plaques. I don't do anything with surveys, none of that. You know, I only work on the company. I have competent people at every location in the company. And education is how that has happened. You know, there's two things I talk about in that chapter. And one of them is book clubs. And people go, book clubs? That guy, we haven't had, you know, anything like that. We haven't had reading groups since I was in the second grade, you know. They yeah. start thinking that kind of job, but that's not it. What I did was, and I did this a decade ago, is I read a great book by my friend and mentor, Dr. Tony Zeiss, who is the president of Central Piedmont Community College in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, that may not sound like a big deal, but by the way, Central Piedmont Community College is the largest community college network in the country. <laughs> so it is a big deal. And mm. Tony is sharp. Anyway, he wrote this book called The 12 Essential Laws for Becoming Indispensable. And I read that book myself because I read three to four hours every day. And when I read it, I'm going like, great day. This is awesome. I need to show this to my employees. So I bought 11 more copies. We had 12 employees at the time, including me. And I called a meeting in our break room. And I said, guys, here, I'm going to pass out books. And I said, I want you to take this and I want you to read chapter one. Here's your highlighter. Here's your notebook. I want you to do a summary of it. And I want you to come back in here. Next week, I'm going to buy pizza. And we're going to sit around and we're going to talk about chapter one while we eat. So it was like deer in the headlights, man. Nobody said anything. <laughs> They're like, what? You know, kind of deal. I even had two of my people come to me and say, Dave, I'm uncomfortable doing that. And I said, well, we're all going to grow together. So it's not an option. So you need to be there. And to their credit, they both said to me about three or four weeks later, wow, this isn't what I expected. This is great. <laughs> you know, so that's good. So you, sometimes you have to force people to do things they wouldn't do otherwise. And, you know, a true leader, this is a great time to say this because a true leader will take you places you've never been or you would never go on your own. That's so right. it's huge. So the book clubs, when we met that first time, man, nobody wanted to say anything. They were eating pizza. Nobody wanted to say a thing. So <laughs> I started and I told them, you know, which I, you and I talked about a little bit before we got on, on the uh, interview here, is that I, I, I had a bad attitude because I went through different jobs. I was frustrated. I was 
irritated, and I, I described that to them, how I had times in my life, because the first chapter was on attitude in that book. So I described where I had made mistakes. And one by one, Jesse, over the next week or two or three weeks, everybody softened up and started talking. And I mean, within a month or two, we had times when people sometimes would tear up talking about something that happened in their life or, you know, to their parents or their siblings or something like that. I mean, it, it bonded us together as a group. And uh, without question, those book clubs have changed lives. And I don't mean just mine. For example, we read Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I, I was saying there was two people in some of the other interviews I've done, but I started thinking about it. No, there was three. I actually had another woman come to me who was separated from her husband at the time. We read that book. She said, that book saved my marriage. We're back together. Wow. You know, three people out of 40 at the time when we read that. So that's pretty respectable. That's not quite 10%, but it's getting pretty close. And uh, man, that's, that's what I want to do. I mean, I want to change lives, starting with my people. And uh, my people will change the lives of our clients. And our clients will change the lives of their employees. That's, that's what success is for me. But, uh, you know, so educating, the book clubs are huge. The second thing that I talk about in the chapter on education is the mastermind principle, which the Napoleon Hill talks about in Think and Grow Rich. I have six, I'm, I'm actually involved in three or four mastermind groups around the country. And uh, I've been in one that costs $25,000 a year. Joe Polish's 25K group in Phoenix. Uh, and it costs that much to be in it a year. And you're hmm. around people, you know, those are some sharp people, but he'd pay 25 grand to be in that room. Mm -hmm. By the way, it doesn't cover your travel expenses or your, your hotel and, you know, airfare and all that. So it's pretty pricey. <laughs> but uh, you're, around, you're around the best of the best in this country. And uh, so I try to, to be in several high-level mastermind groups every year. But I also started one locally with six CEOs of multimillion-dollar companies. We meet once a month. And to a person, Jesse, when I first mentioned coming, about coming to the mastermind group, they all said, Dave, I don't have time to meet with your, you and your for management friends, you know, stuff <laughs> like that. You know, now that they're all coming, they say, don't you dare have that meeting unless I can be there. You know, we plan, we've already got January's meeting planned out, and we're talking about this in October. You know, we do that so everybody can make sure they get it on their schedule and that they can plan around it. So that's the last part of it, that you've got the book clubs and the masterminds, and both of those are huge in making you successful. You've, as your company has grown, you, you got to where, in the book you talk about how you still do the book clubs to this day, but it's not just a single meeting where you That's buy right. pizza and have everybody for lunch. As the company gets bigger, how do you adapt? Well, we got so big that, you know, we started having problems where people had to go to the doctor on lunch, their lunch break, or, you know, a, kid, a child was sick and they had to leave. So what we did basically is we just started uh, paying people to be an hour a week, every week. Half the company is in Wednesday morning at 10 o'clock. The other half comes Thursday morning at 10 o'clock. We rotate those groups every quarter. So we all read the same book and we discuss it, you know, and we get involved and we bond together as a group. And that's what we do today. So I pay seventy dollars to $100,000 a year for my people to be in that room. Hmm. Now, you don't start out that, you know, paying that much. I mean, you can do it if you really want to do it uh, on, the, on the cheap, if you will, then do like I did and bring in lunch and just pay mm -hmm. them while they're clocked out. You know, I say pay them, feed them while they're clocked out. That's a lot cheaper. Yeah. But, you know, when you get bigger and you need to have some people on the phones and, you know, taking care of clients and customers, then you can't do that. So 
That's why we split the company up in half. And I talk about that in quite a bit in depth in my book, how to accomplish that goal Mm -hmm. of making sure you can do the book clubs while taking care of the clients and customers. Now, W in the rewards uh, acronym stands for Winners Emerge. What's that about? Winners Emerge, basically, you look at who steps up and shows and takes, I should say, a leadership role, if you will, in the book clubs. And what we do, a lot of times, we will allow... Uh, not just the managers to lead book club, but we'll also have volunteers for people to do it. And I really want to brag on one of our guys named Josh Straw. Super kid, very introverted, very shy individual. And he volunteered to do it. And he told one of my other managers, and they told me, I'm going like, Josh is? You know, I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, so I said, this will be good. So it was so funny, Jesse. You would have you would you would have loved to have seen him because he got up there and he's sitting there with the book in his hand and he's shaking like a leaf in the wind, you know, while <laughs> while he's talking. But you know what? He did it, Jesse. He did. It. And and I gave him, or we gave him the opportunity, I should say, to shine. And that kid has really come out of his shell. He is just a phenomenal employee, and I can't brag on him enough because he did what he feared and he beat it. And he's just grown so much as an individual. And that, not, that would not have happened without Book Club. So that's huge. So winners emerge. That's what Josh has done. He stepped up. He became more today than he was yesterday. He became more this year than he was last year. And that's what growth is, is getting better at what you do every day. And that's where the winners emerge came from. Yeah, so having some activities or initiatives where it's a little easier for those winners to emerge in different contexts, because other, otherwise, people might just be so embedded in their work that you, that you may not ever spot them in a leadership context. That's exactly right. You know, and these guys, a lot of people will just naturally blossom and bloom, if you will, in that environment where they're talking with other people. And they just start telling you what their thoughts are. And it's really easy for them. And you can see that they have leadership capacity. And so you want to expand on that. Hmm. So that's what we do with Winners Emerge. That's how we do it. A stands for attitude, which anybody who's in leadership, I guess, knows how important attitude is. But, or you would assume so, but you wouldn't have this 10% <laughs> issue if that were the case. That's exactly right. Attitude is foundational. Uh, my father passed away last year, but he was a Baptist pastor for 55 years. And one of the things he used to say, he said, Dave, he said, if you hold up a piece of glass and it's clear, everything looks clear. But if you drop it in mud and you pick it up, everything you see through it is dirty, and cloudy. Mm-hmm. So that's the way your attitude is. If you have a bad attitude, everything that happens in your life, they're out to get me. Mm-hmm. You know, you hate me. You just, you did that on purpose and you know, all this kind of stuff. So it, it, all it does is drive division between the people that are there. Whether it be a husband and wife or whether it be a manager and employee or employees between themselves, attitude is huge. And we do not tolerate bad attitudes, period. And if you have a bad attitude, we sit you down and tell you, hey, this is a problem. So years ago, I said to my people, we're not going to tolerate it. I don't care how much money you make the company. If you have a bad attitude, we're letting you go if you can't fix it. And I, pr- I proved that about five years ago. Our top salesperson uh, was starting to bite people's heads off. And hmm. she was warned a couple of times. So I was actually out in California, one of my vacations, and I got a call from my COO and my sales manager. And they said, Dave, we got a bit of a problem. I said, what is it? I said, this individual is biting people's heads off. I said, all right, pull her aside 
and tell her, hey, you know, she was getting married. So we said, I told him, I said, make sure that's not the problem. What's the irritant? Why is all of a sudden she biting people's heads off? So they pulled her aside. Or I should say the manager did. And she got upset and she blasted my COO, pinned his ears back. And uh, that was not the reason she was let go. The reason she was let go is because she did not fix the problem. And she did not, you know, care enough about everybody else to realize, hey, I, what I'm doing is a problem. I need to fix that. And she didn't. So when I let her go, she was my highest paid salesperson <laughs> and the biggest salesperson in the company, you know, as far as sales. Wow. And when I let her go, everybody was like, whoa, he's serious. So that was a big step, you know, to be able to do that. And, uh, you know, actually, we, we've got her back working with us in some capacity now. Uh, and she, you know, she apologized multiple times. So we've given, I believe in giving second chances. But not always, but I do uncertain certain times. <laughs> and uh, but that was the case in this one. So her attitude hurt her, but uh, that's what we're not going to tolerate. You know, what's that song, One Bad Apple Spoils the Whole Bunch? Mm-hmm. Well, hey, no thanks. You know, we cannot have that. You know, it just doesn't work. You can't go to work every day if you feel like, you know, I hate going there. You know, Jesse, the number one day for heart attacks is Monday. The number one time of day on Monday is Monday morning. People would rather have a heart attack than go to work sometimes, <laughs> yeah. right? So that you can't have that. So you need to make the place. Uh, and Gallup organization said one of the 12 things that makes for a successful workplace and happy employees is having someone at work that, that's a friend of yours that you look forward to seeing every day. Mm-hmm. So you want to have multiple friends. You know, the good thing about what we do with our, our book clubs have contributed this greatly, but different people from different departments are now good friends. Yeah. So they go to lunch together. It used to be all the production people – only somebody from production would go with production or someone for support would go with support. Not, not anymore. So that's huge. So that's what you want to do. You get down to the part of attitude, and that's how you bond more people together by working together and uh, making sure no one is tolerated with a bad attitude. The next R in rewards stands for recognition. Yeah. Why is that so important for a, a manager to pay attention to that? Well, the number one reason is this. You know, Gallup organization found in their surveys that 65% of employees said that they had received no recognition from their manager in the last year. <laughs> last year? Seriously? <laughs> yes. You know, that's pathetic. Mm. And, uh, but, you know, a lot of times managers are very insecure and they don't want to say anything to people for several reasons. One of them is if I make them feel too good, they're going to come and ask me for a raise. And the other one is if I build them up so much, you know, that makes me look bad. Mm. You know, really successful leaders their job, all they do is build up their people. You know, Jack Welch, who's arguably one of the most successful CEOs in business history, said that you need to constantly work on building your team. When you are an employee, you're your own greatest ambassador by, you know, getting your name out there. But when you become a manager, your job is to amplify the results of your people. Hmm. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. So you need to recognize those people for their contribution to the company. Matter of fact, if you look at George Mason University, years ago, they did uh, surveys where they had like 1,800 employees and managers, and they had them rank 10 different criteria. And the managers, when they were asked to rank them, they ranked pay as number one. The employees ranked pay at number five. <laughs> managers also, let, let me say this, the employees actually ranked uh, employee recognition as number two, right behind having the feeling that I'm contributing to the success of the company as number one. 
Number two, they wanted to be recognized for that contribution. And employee, uh, pardon me, as managers had employee recognition at number eight. Wow. Talk about a disconnect. Yeah. You know, there's the problem. You know, that's just huge. So uh, another thing Gallup said that 47% of your best people are looking to leave you right now. And why is that? 47% of your best people. Because you tolerate losers. That's why they're wanting to leave. You know, they're not going to stay with a bunch of, you know, flunkies. They want to work for a world-class company. And, uh, you know, Gallup had this, these statistics. And I actually had my, uh, Gallup, my uh, graphics guy, Devin, do me a poster with 10 Clydesdales pulling one donkey sitting down. <laughs> and, the other, and the other, that's the average world-class company. They have 10 engaged employees for every disengaged employee. And the average U.S. company has two engaged employees for one disengaged. So I had two Clydesdales pulling the one donkey sitting down. Now think about this, Jesse. Hmm. If you've got 10 Clydesdales, that donkey sitting down is not even going to phase them. They pull wagons, man. Yeah. You know, they're not going to be phased by one donkey. But when you have two Clydesdales pulling a donkey sitting down, they're going to get tired. And one of those Clydesdales is going to say, I've had it with this. I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. That's what happens when you tolerate, as a manager, you tolerate those losers on your team. So you do not want that to happen. So you need to recognize your winners. Or they're going to go somewhere else. And if they don't get the recognition from you, and this is proven over and over again, they will leave you for a company that will recognize them. I remember a little blurb in Wall Street Journal back in the year I started, 1989. And it said four out of five people said they would switch companies for the same pay if they were promised praise and recognition in a new company. That's how powerful it is. That's recognition. Isn't that something? Yes, it is. Now, the D in rewards is duplication. Absolutely. I developed over years what I call my Shark's Teeth Leadership Development Program. And if you're familiar with a shark's mouth, they have teeth in there that are their front row, and then there's teeth that are lined up back behind the front teeth. So if a shark gets in a fight with another shark or a seal or something, and a tooth gets knocked out, another one pops up in its place. And that's what you have to have. In my management meetings, every once in a while with our management team, I will randomly say, Melanie, God forbid something happens to you, but who's your top person that you would recommend to take your place if something happens to you? They have to be able to answer that. Hmm. Not only do they have to be able to tell me one, I say, who's the second one? Who's the second person? And then I ask, what are you doing to develop those people? What are you doing to make them better? What are you doing to increase their skill set? That's their responsibility. And my managers are not wishy-washy. They're not concerned about losing their jobs. You know, I have a solid world-class management team. But the problem is, is we keep growing. We've had to keep adding more and more departments. We need to know who the leaders of the company will be when we have an opening. We, we can't go, okay, let's try to find somebody. No, I want to find out. We try to promote from within. And we've been successful doing that. As you said, we've been growing 20% a year for about 15 years. World class. We're what known in the business world as a gazelle. Any company for five years in a row that grows 20% on top of 20%, on top of 20% for five years, is classified in the business world as a gazelle. And we have been that for many, many years. So that duplication system is huge. And you will never, ever be able to grow unless you have systems in place where you teach the people how to do it. If one falls out, you plug somebody into the system, you teach them the basics, the fundamentals, and you turn them loose. And here's the system. We're plugging you in. If the system is good enough, it's a very small, very short ramp-up period. So, you know, that learning curve is shortened dramatically when you have a good, strong system like we have. 
And that's duplication. Hmm. And finally, the S in rewards is success. What's the big secret there? Success. Everybody thinks it's money. And in my case, I've, I've been fortunate enough to be to reach the level of the top 1% income earners in the country or in the world for that matter. And here's the deal. It's not the money that makes you successful. And everybody would say, yeah, you got it. So you don't really, uh, <laughs> you know, you don't think about it that way. No, I'm sorry. It's that, you know, somebody said that you, the person who dies with the most toys wins. Nah, not really. You know, it's, it doesn't matter what it is you get. You always want something more. And in my book, I talk about the guy who won the lottery, the largest lottery in, in U.S. history at the time. And I think it was like $294 million was what he took home. And I think he was in West Virginia or Kentucky or somewhere. And this was on a- ABC's 2020 magazine. And they profiled this guy and his story. What happened was this guy was a millionaire. People don't realize this. This guy was a millionaire when he won the lottery. He had like 100 employees. Yeah, he was, he was already a multimillionaire. That's right. Yes, he was. He was very successful. And, but when he won that money, though, Jesse, that changed the man. It changed him because he didn't earn that money. And he started... It changed his life. He started doing things he wouldn't have done. He started, he, of course, he spoiled his granddaughter, the apple of his eye. You know, she was working a job. He loved her. He doted on her. He gave her some spending money and stuff like that. But you know what? When he, when he won that lottery, he started giving her like $1,500, $2,000 a week just to blow. He bought her three cars. Make a long story short, she ended up ODing on drugs. She died. Uh, Destroyed him. Hmm. And his wife ended up, he started going to strip clubs. You know, his wife left him. His other daughter didn't talk with him. His employees hated him because he didn't do anything with him anymore. There was no relationship there. Friends and family asked him for money, and he said no. They, they were mad about that, or he said yes, and then they wanted to come back another time, and he said no, then they were mad. So everything in his life he lost. And I remember the final thing that he said on that interview on ABC was he said, the worst thing that ever happened to me was winning that money. It destroyed him. And that's what happens when people get a lot of money and they don't, they're not grounded. They don't have the fundamentals. But look at this guy, Jesse. He was a millionaire. You would think this guy's grounded. But no. Yeah. Something you don't work for, you don't care about. And, and when you get a lot of money, people come and ask for it. You know, I, I had in the last five years, I've had two of my friends come to me, either on the phone or in person, crying and saying, Dave, buy my house and send foreclosure. And let me rent it from you. Now, dadgummit, if you don't have any money, they're not going to come asking you to buy their house, are they, Jesse? Right. <laughs> so this, this junk about when I get a certain amount of money, I'm not going to have any problems anymore. It's horse pucky. You know, it's just it's total junk. It's a whole new set of problems that you didn't have before. So, but you don't focus on that. Yes, a lot of people say, well, give me the money. I'll deal with the problem. <laughs> well, you know what? If you can't handle the problems, you'll lose the money too. And you'll be right like this, you know, the guy up in uh, West Virginia where he was that won the lottery. And my, my, my definition of success is what impact do I have on people's lives? You know, a couple of years ago, my employees gave me a chest with uh, a wooden chest. It's a picture of it in my book, Jesse. And they, they put cards and letters in there. At Christmas time, they gave it to me and they put in it their thoughts about what I have meant to their lives. Now, man, that's stinking awesome. And then yeah. over the last few years, I've added cards and letters and emails that I printed out from friends and family and employees, even some past employees I've fired. <laughs> I've got great things from them telling me that they did not realize what they had until they lost it. 
And, uh, I, you know, man, I don't have bad days. I can open that chest and get something out right there, and I'm right back, right where I was. I don't have any, any bad days in that regard. You know, so I mean, that's, that's what success is, is your legacy when you fall off the face of the earth and you're done here, what's left of you? And that, to me, legacy is what marks success, not how many toys you had and how much money you had, period. Well, David, we've talked about the seven principles that make up the framework of the book, but there's a lot more in the book, a lot of stories and tips that back up each of those principles. How can people find out more about you and about the book? Uh, they can go to Amazon and uh, look for Built to Lead, and that's David Long on the author, and then they can buy that. By the way, for your listeners, if they buy the hardback copy of the book, and they send me their receipt at this email address, davidlong at top10manager.com. And they put in the subject line, uh, please send Kindle version. Then I'll know that they bought the book. And they they need to put their Kindle receipt number in there. So we got that for verification. And then I will send them at no cost to them, absolutely free, the Kindle version of the book. And that sells on Amazon for $9.95 right now. But I will send that to them as a favor for their in appreciation for them buying the hardback version. That way they'll have it wherever they go. They'll have it on a smartphone or they can read the book when they get home, whatever they want to do. And that's that's how you get a hold of me. Same thing there. David Long at top10manager.com. Fantastic. Well, David Long, thanks for joining us on Engaging Leader. I appreciate it, Jesse. I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you. All right, engagers, that wraps up this episode. When you go to our show notes for this episode, you'll see information and links that we provide on there. We'll, all the stuff that David just mentioned, we'll um, include that on the show notes. We'll also uh, include his website for his recognition and engagement company, myemployees.com. That'll be on there. And I do want to mention, if you go to his book's website, top10manager.com, be sure you click on the resources button. There's a lot of great resources that David is sharing with you there. Again, the book is Built to Lead, Seven Management Rewards Principles for Becoming a Top 10% Manager by David Long. You can find the show notes at engagingleader.com forward slash 101 as in episode 101. Engaging Leader is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at aspendalecommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Christopher Seal, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, whether you realize it or not, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of our opportunities to engage the people we care about.